KMTT, Kimitzion Tetzei Torah. KMTT, the Torah podcast. Today is Tuesday, Shur in Parshat HaShavua. Shur Parshat HaShavua will be given this week as usual by Harav Hanoch Waxman. This week, Parshat Pekudei, I would like to talk about the end of Parshat Pekudei, um, the story of the assembly of the Mishkan, and the very end of Sefer Shemot. In point of fact, I would like to talk a little bit about the problem of that which is missing from the end of Sefer Shemot, a problem, uh, a bit of a technical problem, one which we will have to turn to the text uh, to begin to understand and unpack. So what I'd like to do is to begin with uh, the beginning of the last segment of the Sefer, a segment that begins in Perak Mem, uh, Pasuk Yud Zayin, uh, here in Parshat Pekudei. So in Perak Mem, Pasuk Yud Zayin, the Torah tells us as follows, Bechodesh HaRishon, HaShinit, Mishkan. And it was on the first day of the first month um, of the second year, Hukama Mishkan, the Mishkan was set up how did this happen? Well, Pasuk Yudchet, Vayaka Moshe et HaMishkan, and Moshe set up the Mishkan, Vayitinet Adanav, and how did he do this? Well, he put the sockets, Vayasam et Koshav, he placed the boards, Vayitinet Brachav, he put the supporting boards, Vayaka Matamudav, he set up its pillars, Vayifrosh et Orel, he spread the tent. So Moshe engaged in the labor of setting up the actual physical structure of the Mishkan, uh, of the Orel, of the tent, and toward the end of Pasuk Yutet, the Torah tells us, Vayasemet alav numala. Moshe placed the covering of the tent above all of the structure that he set up, Kasher Tziva Hashem et Moshe, precisely as God had commanded him. So we have here, in these three Psukim, Pasuk Yud Zayin through Pasuk Kaf, uh, first, the introduction of the date. It is the first day of the first month of the second year. And then the fact that Moshe went about establishing and setting up the Mishkan, precisely as God had uh, commanded him. Um, now, in fact, uh, as you do not have the text in front of you, it is worthwhile to note that these three psukim uh, I just read constitute the kind of mini parsha here in the Torah. There is a ptucha both before and after, and uh, in the most soretic text breaks, these three verses are bracketed off as a kind of separate parsha. In point of fact, um, these uh, three verses, this kind of mini parsha that details Moshe's setting up of the ohel, uh, is the beginning of a set of a, uh, a lengthy list, so to speak, um, of mini parshiot. Each one that details uh, another aspect of the setting up the Mishkan. In fact, the ones mentioned afterwards, the ones that occur afterwards, deal with various vessels uh, of the Mishkan. For example, immediately following upon the heels of the Pasuk that we just read, in Pasuk Kaf, the Torah says, Vayikach vayitain et ha'idut el haron, and Moshe took and placed the edut, i.e. the luchot, into the aron, into the ark, vayasem et tavadim, etc., etc. And this concludes two verses later, kasher tziva Hashem et Moshe. In fact, altogether, there are eight of these mini parshiot that each detail another aspect of the setting up of the Mishkan. And the phrase, kasher tziva Hashem, as uh, God had commanded him, the Moshe performs the action precisely as God had commanded him, appears in the first seven of them. And not surprisingly, in this story of the setting up of the Mishkan by Moshe, things are done exactly as God commands. And the phrase, Kashet Siva Hashem, as God commanded, appears seven times, symbolizing wholeness, symbolizing completeness. 
Well, I mentioned a moment ago there are in fact eight of them, and it is worthwhile to note uh, the eighth one. Um, later on in Pragmem, Pasuk Lamed Gimel, towards the very end of the story of Moshe setting up of the Mishkan, the Torah says as follows in Mem Lamed Gimel. Vayakem et chatzer saviv, Moshe set up the courtyard around the Mishkan, around the Mishkan, v'lamezbeach and around the altar. Vayitenet amasach shara chatzer, and he placed the cover of the gate of the courtyard. Vayichal Moshe et hamalacha. And Moshe finished the work. So again, this gives us the sense of completeness. We have Kasher Tzival Hashem seven times. We have Vayichal Moshe et Hamalacha. We have Moshe finishing the work. So Moshe has set up the entire Mishkan precisely as God commanded him on the first day of the first month. Okay. Well, at this point, we reach the very end, the terminus, the end point of Sefer Shemot, the kind of rhetorical flourish upon which Sefer Shemot ends or with which Sefer Shemot ends. Parak Mem, Pasuk Lamed says as follows. And the cloud immediately covered the tent of meeting after Moshe had set it up. And the glory of God embodied in the cloud filled the Mishkan. Moshe could not enter into the tent of meeting because God's presence rested upon the cloud rested upon uh, the Mishkan, and the glory of God filled the Mishkan, and it goes on, and when the cloud rested upon the Mishkan, you have here the immediate aftermath of Moshe setting up the Mishkan as commanded by God, is God's presence arrives and fills the Mishkan. We have the word Mishkan mentioned three times, we have the Kavod, we have the Anan, and this of course is a kiyum, an accomplishment of the promise made all the way back in Perak Kafhei of Sefer Shmot at the beginning of Parashat Shuma, the Asuli Migdash Vishachanti Bitocham. You will make me a Migdash and I will dwell amongst you. So now Moshe has made the Migdash. Moshe has set up the Migdash. Immediately the Shekhinah, the divine presence, comes and rests upon the Migdash. So the story here is well understood. Now, however, there is a bit of a problem here, and this I referred to earlier as the problem of that which is missing. And what do I mean by this? Well, in order to understand that which is missing, we need to turn the focus of our attention from Moshe's accomplishment of the divine command, which is found here in the latter half of Perak Mem, to the actual divine command itself, which is given at the beginning, or in the first part of Perak Mem. Um, in a larger sense, or bigado, so to speak, um, in a broad sense, chapter 40, Perak Mem, is divided into two halves. Uh, the latter half, which is the accomplishment of the divine command, which we have been considering until this point, and the first half, the actual command itself, uh, which we have not yet considered, and I would like to turn our attention to it for the moment. So, Parak Mem begins in the following fashion, in Pasuk Aleph. Standard introduction, God spoke to Moshe. God commands Moshe on the first day of the first month, of course, the proper date that Moshe will do this upon later on, beginning his work in Parakman Pasuk Yudzayin, God commands him to establish the Mishkan. And what is he supposed to do? Pasuk Gimel, V'samta Sham et Edut, V'sakot al-Arona Taparochet, V'veitet And the Torah here goes through the list of the procedures that Moshe is supposed to carry out. 
And in these first few verses, without going into details, the order of actions Moshe is supposed to take, first setting up the tent, and then bringing in the Aaron, and then the Shulchan, this corresponds perfectly to the way Moshe carries things out later on in those eight mini parshiot that I mentioned earlier, which of course each end with Kasher Tzivah Hashem, as God commanded him. But, moving along in the instructions, um, we come eventually, after the mention of the creation of the physical structure of the Mishkan, we come to Pasuk Tet. Parakman Pasuk Tet says as follows, And you should take the anointing oil, and you should anoint the Mishkan, and everything which is in it. So Moshe is commanded in the command section, the first part of Parakman, to anoint and sanctify uh, the Mishkan. Well, this is interesting. Well, let's move a bit further on because there's something else Moshe is commanded to do um, as part of this process of Mishikah and Hakdasha, of anointment and sanctification. Pasuk Vibet. V'kravta et Aaron v'et banav el petach ol mo'ed. And you shall bring Aaron and his sons close to the door of the tent of meeting. V'rachatstautam. And you should wash them b'mayim with water. And then you should dress Aaron in the holy clothes. And you should anoint him. And you should sanctify him. And he will become a Kohen to me. And then afterwards the Torah mentions his sons. So interestingly here, there are kind of another two misimot, that, another two missions or uh, actions that Moshe has commanded here in the beginning of Perak Mem, above and beyond the setting up of the physical structure of the Mishkan. Two, he's also told to uh, anoint and sanctify the Mishkan itself and its various vessels. And three, and more importantly for our discussion today, um, he is told to bring close, uh, to wash, to dress, to anoint, and to sanctify, effectively to induct uh, Aaron and his sons as Kohanim, and then they will serve in the Mishkan. Now, what's striking is that in the accomplishment segment of Perak Mem, the latter half of Perak Mem, which we began our shir with today, none of this is mentioned. Um, and we focus for the moment on the third thing Moshe has commanded, uh, the induction of the Kohanim. There is no mention of the bringing close, uh, the, the washing, the dressing, uh, the anointing, the sanctifying. This whole aspect of the induction of the Kohanim is missing completely from the accomplishment segment of Perak Mem. Now, I would note this is very, very strange because if we take a look at the last verse of the first half of Perak Mem, I'm referring here to Perak Mem, Pasuk Tet Zion. It says, Vayas Moshe kechol asher Hashem oto Moshe did exactly as God commanded him. Now, this is prospectively uh, mentioning that everything that God has just commanded, Moshe will accomplish. But very strange, when it comes to the accomplishment section, there is no mention at all of the induction of the Kohanim. To put this a little bit differently, there is something missing from the latter half of Perak Mem. In a segment of the Torah that is about Moshe's faithful carrying out of the instructions of God in assembling the Mishkan, it is rather striking that there is no mention of the bringing close, the washing, the dressing, the overall ceremony of induction of the Kohanim that Moshe had been commanded in the beginning, in the first half of Perak Mem. Um, now, this is, in fact, a bit of a, of a technical problem, uh, a problem of technical omission, but I think it is the key to realizing that there is something uh, far more deeply strange about the latter half of Perak Mem. And to understand this, I would like to go back in the Chumash to Perak Kaftet uh, of Shemot, 
the place where the whole idea of the induction of the Kohanim um, is, is first mentioned and is first set forth. Uh, Parakavtet, chapter 29, is often referred to as the instructions for the Miluim. The Miluim being uh, the days of ceremony or the procedure by which the Kohanim are inducted and the Mishkan is inaugurated. And Parakavtet, uh, Pasuk Aleph, begins as follows, And this is the thing that you should do to sanctify them, the Kohanim, uh, to serve me. Take a, a whole bull, take a particular korban, and then there's also, uh, there are matzot, there's a basket of matzot, and all kinds of various uh, rituals that take place here, karbanot and other kinds of offerings. And then if we jump down uh, a few verses, we're told in Pasuk Dalet, Parakavtet Pasuk Dalet, as follows. Aaron, takriv el petach bring them close to the door of the Omoed, v'rachat and you should wash them. And then in Pasukei, v'lakachtet habgadim, and then you should take the clothes, v'hilbashte et Aaron, et akutunot, v'tamil, v'tayfot. So we have here first the bringing close of Aaron, a second, we have the washing of Aaron. Third, we have the dressing of Aaron. And as we go a bit further on in Pasuk Zayin, we have now the anointing of Aaron with the anointing oil. And then, of course, uh, afterwards we have the mention of his sons. So if we put this together, we have here the exact same procedure and ritual that we already recognize from later on in Parak Nem. We have the Hakrava, we have the bringing close. We have, secondly, the rechitzah, the washing. We have, third, the dressing. And we have, fourth, the anointing. And this is all part and process, part and parcel of the process of the milim, of the induction of Aaron into service and the beginning of work in the Mishkan. Um, now, why is this important? Because if we move a bit further on in Parak Kavtet, I believe we discover a very interesting connection. The remainder of Parak Kavtet is more or less concerned with the description of the Karbanot HaMiloim, the procedure of the Miloim, that which was done on these days, and the technicalities of offering and service that took place. Then, um, we come to Parakavtet Pasuk Membet, uh, which is uh, a description of the Karban Tamid, the daily offering, uh, which was brought every day, Lidorot, for generations, just like it had been done during those first days of inauguration of the Miloim. And we're told as follows in Parakavtet Pasuk Membet, and it's worthwhile to read through a few psukim here. Olat tamid l'dorotechem, petach o'amo'ed l'fnei Hashem. It is an everlasting offering for your generations at the door of the o'amo'ed in front of God. Asher iva'ed lachem sham l'dabere l'chashem. That I will appear to you there in the o'amo'ed to speak with you there. V'no'adati sham l'vnei Yisrael, and I will meet there with b'nei Yisrael. V'nikdash b'chvodi, and I will be sanctified in my glory. V'kidashdi et o'amo'ed v'tamizbech, and I will sanctify the tent of meeting and the altar, Aaron and his sons, I was sanctified to serve me. And then in Pasuk Yisrael, and I will dwell amidst the Bnei Yisrael, I'll be for them a God. Then they will know that I am the Lord their God who took them out of Egypt, to dwell amongst them, I am the Lord your God. There is a certain sense here. Um, at the end of Parak Kavtet, that this whole idea of the sanctification of the Mishkan by God, of God resting His presence in the Mishkan, of God resting His presence amongst B'nai Israel, is contingent 
depends upon the induction of Aaron and his sons into service. It is through the Kohanim and the Korbanot, through this whole procedure of Miluim, that Gilui Shechina, that God's presence happens in the Mishkan, that God rests his presence in the Mishkan, exactly as he has promised, Bishachanti Betocham. And now, in point of fact, if we look later on in Sefer Vayikra, in Perichet and Tet, in the story that is told at the end of Parshat Sav and the beginning of Parshat Shmini, in point of fact, um, it is exactly when the Kohanim are inducted, when the Miluim are finished, and the Kohanim and the Korbanot begin their service, that is when God rests his presence in the Mishkan, and Gilushkina in the Mishkan happens. And what we should realize is that if this sense is correct, as a kind of contingency of Gilushkina upon Kohanim and Korbanot, we do not in any way understand what happens at the very end of Sefer Shmot. And I'd like to go back again to Perak Mem in Sefer Shmot and the structure we had set up there. What happens? Moshe sets up the building. Um, he puts everything in place. Hashem. He does not apparently induct Aharon at this point, And this is kind of a, uh, a veering away from the notion of Kashetziva Hashem. Aharon is, of course, inducted later on in Sefer Vayikra with the Kohanim and the Karbanot at the end of Tzav, the beginning of Shemini. And yet, nevertheless... Gilui Shechina happens at the very, very end of Sefer Shmot in Parak Mem Pasuk Lam and Dalit again. Immediately after Moshe sets up the Mishkan, God's presence fills the Mishkan. But what we have here is a problem. And it's not just a technical problem of how can the Torah say Kasher Tzivau Hashem over and over if Moshe has not yet inducted Aaron into service in the Mishkan. There's a more fundamental problem about how is Gilui Shechina, the revelation of God, possible in the Mishkan if we have not yet reached the point where the Kohanim are at work, where Aaron has been brought forth, he has been inducted, he has been put into service. If there's no Kohanim and there's no Korbanot, how is it possible to have Gilui Shechina in the Mishkan? Or perhaps in another sense, what is the meaning or the nature of this Gilui Shechina at the very end of Sefer Shemot if it is not the divine revelation or the divine presence that is connected up uh, to Kohanim and Karbanot as foretold in Parakhtet of Sefer Shemot and as maps out as this happens later on in Parakhtet and Tet of Vayikra. So again, I think the issue here is not just so much the technical problem of uh, Haron's induction being missing in Parakhmem, really the more fundamental problem of the meaning, the nature, the possibility of divine revelation of God's presence in the Mishkan, if we have not yet reached the point where divine service of Kohanim and Karbanot uh, has begun. Um, okay. Now, in order um, to resolve uh, this problem, or attempt to say something interesting about the end of Sefer Shemot, um, I think we are... Um, we need to turn or to note a very interesting biblical parallel on the one hand, and uh, also to utilize a, a famous point um, made by Ramban um, regarding the end of Sefer Shemot and Sefer Shemot overall. I think that may bring things together uh, quite nicely. Um, the parallel I refer to is readily apparent by turning back in Sefer Shemot, by taking a look back in the very end of Parakhtalad, at the segment in the Torah, preceding, immediately preceding the beginnings of the command uh, of, the, of the Mishkan. Parakhtalad, Pasuk Yudbet, says as follows. God said to Moshe, 
Alei Eli Hahara Veyesham, come up to the mountain, be there with me. Nalachat Luchota Evan, I will give you the tablets of stone, Vatorah Vamitzvah, and Torah and the Mitzvah, Ashakatati Lahorotam. So immediately Moshe rises to the task, Bayaka Moshe Vyeshu Mishato, and Moshe got up with Yeshua, took Yeshua with him, his assistant, Vayal Moshe Haralokim, Moshe went up onto the mountain, and then uh, in the Following Psukim, he instructs the Zakanim, he leaves the Zakanim behind, and he leaves Aaron and Hur in charge, and eventually in Pasuk Tetzayin, Vayal Moshe Alahar, Moshe goes up onto the mountain, Moshe is now alone. He's left Yeshua behind, he's left Hur behind, he's left the Zakanim behind. This is the story of Moshe Levad, Moshe alone. Vayachas Hanan Etahar, and the cloud covered the mountain. Pasuk Tetzayin reads, following this, Vayishkon Kvod Hashem al Har Sinai, and the glory of God rested upon Har Sinai, Vayichaseo Ha'anan, Shesh Yamim, and the cloud covered the mountain for six days. So, if we think about it, what we have here so far is A, or one, Moshe is alone. Uh, two, we have the cloud uh, of God, which is, of course, the Kvod Hashem, the glory of God, which is Vayishkon, which rests, we have this complex of symbols, which I'll call two for the moment, of the cloud, the kavod, the shekhinah, embodied in the sense of a yishkon resting. And um, if we think about it, three, six days, Moshe seems to be waiting. Um, there's this cloud that fills the mountain, and Moshe cannot enter, apparently, or does not enter. And then, immediately following the mention of Vayichasei Onan Sheish Jamim, Pasuk Tetzayin continues on, Vayikra el Moshe bayom hashvim God summons him. Um, so here we have a third element, the fact that Moshe is mu'ukav, Moshe cannot enter, and then God summons him. And then, strangely enough, or interestingly enough, here in Pasuk Yud Zion, um, the Torah switches focus for a moment, moves from the top of the mountain where Moshe is now in the cloud with God, down to the bottom of the mountain, and we're told something interesting about what the Bnei Yisrael see. We're told, Umarek kvot Hashem ke'esh ochelet barosh shahar le'bnei Bnei Yisrael. And the appearance of the glory of God was like a consuming fire at the top of the mountain to the eyes of Bnei Yisrael. And this finishes with a flourish. So this, this is a story of Moshe being on the mountain for 40 days with God on Har Sinai. And there are four interesting elements that we can pick out here. One, this is Moshe alone. Two, this is Anan Kvod Shechina. Three, that there's the sense of Moshe is mu'ukav because of the presence of the Shekhinah, and then God summons him, God calls him. And for all of this appears to B'nai Yisrael as a, as a fiery revelation, as a picture of fire upon the mountain. This is the way B'nai Yisrael see this. And this is the parsha that immediately precedes the very beginning of the third part of Sefer Shemot, which we might think of as the story of Mishkan, which begins in Perakafei Pasuk Aleph. On some plane, we might say that these four or five verses that I just read, this picture of Sinai is the last scene of the second segment of Sefer Shemot, the story of Sinai, and stands at the Kavatefer, the scene line between the second segment, Sinai, and the third segment, Mishkan. And now I would like to jump now to the very end of the Sefer, uh, which might be thought of as the end of the story of Mishkan found in Sefer Shemot. And I think we will discover something very interesting if we... Uh, Reconsider the verses found at the end of Parakmem. Now, as we've already noted, Parakmem is about Moshe uh, putting up the Mishkan. And without belaboring the point, it is Moshe Lavad, is Moshe alone. Uh, for example, in uh, Parak 
Mem Pasuk Yud Chet, where Moshe begins to assemble the Mishkan, the Torah tells us, Vayaka Moshe Tamishkan. It is Moshe, and it is Moshe, and the verbs are singular throughout the entire parak. It is Moshe alone who does this. And then, uh, at the very end of Parak Mem, Pasuk uh, Lamed Gimel, another Pasuk we've already considered, Vayichal Moshe et HaMelacha. It is Moshe's Melacha, and Moshe finished the Melacha, it is Moshe alone. Parak Mem, Pasuk Lamed Dalet. Vayichas he'anan heta'oel mo'ed u'kfod Hashem malayet ha'mishkan. So now we have here, I think, already a parallel between the story of the Mishkan here at the end of the Sefer and the story of Sinai at the very end of Perak Kaftal. It is not just Moshe Levad which is parallel to in the two stories, but also here in this story, the cloud and the Kvot Hashem, Malayat HaMishkan, uh, the dwelling place of God. Mishkan uh, parallels Vayishkon Kvot Hashem back in Perak Kaftal. So we have here the second element of the Anan, the Kvot, and the Mishkan, or the Shochein, or God's presence. And now, as we move ahead in the text, Prakman Moshe could not enter the Ol Moed because the cloud filled it. And the glory of God filled the Mishkan. So we have here a third element that Moshe is Mu'ukav. Uh, he cannot enter it yet, the same as he could not enter at Har Sinai. Now, um, of course, if you remember there, God called to him and then he was able to enter. Well, in fact, here at the end of Sefer Shemot, God also calls to Moshe. We should, of course, remember the first verse of, Ve- of Sefer Vayikra, Parak Aleph, Pasuk Aleph. Vayikra el Moshe, Vayidaber Hashem elav, and God called to Moshe. And both as Ibn Ezra and Ramban point out here, there's a certain uh, continuity between the end of Shemot and the beginning of Vayikra, God calls to Moshe and Moshe enters the Ol Moed. So we have here a third element of parallel. In both cases, Moshe is Mu'ukav, Moshe cannot enter, and then God calls them and he does enter. This brings us to Parak Mem, Pasuk uh, Lamed Vav, Psukim that we have not yet considered, which in and of themselves seem to be rather strange. Parak Mem, Pasuk Lamed Vav says as follows, and when the cloud rose from upon the Mishkan, Yis'u B'nai Yisrael B'chol Ma'asehem. Then the B'nai Yisrael would travel upon all their journeys. V'im lo ya'le'an, and if the cloud would not rise, v'lo Yis'u ad yom he'alato. Uh, the uh, B'nai Yisrael would not travel until the day that it rose. This is very, very strange, uh, the inclusion of Lamed Vav and Lamed Zion here. As if, so to speak, the Torah telescopes forward in place and time, not to the day that the Mishkan uh, was assembled, because we are now looking at the day the Mishkan was assembled, to some point far in the future where B'nai Yisrael will be traveling, and, and the fact that the Anan upon the Mishkan is a kind of travel system. We could easily imagine uh, these psukim being found in Sefer Bamidbar, which describes the Anan as a signal system for the travels of B'nai Yisrael in Paraktet and Yud. Um, yet, nevertheless, they are found here almost in some sense out of place. Well, there is a, is a good answer to this, and we'll come to it in a few seconds, but for the moment, let's consider the next Pasuk. Pasuk Lamechet. Kianan Hashem ala Mishkan Yomam. The cloud was upon the Mishkan during the day, the signal system. But how did the divine presence upon the Mishkan appear to B'nai Yisrael? Well, it was the signal system of cloud during the day, but at night it appeared as fire, as burning fire, just as back at Har Sinai. And with this inclusion of these psukim that are, so to speak, from the future, from the story of the travel system, from Sefer Bamidbar, the Torah creates the perfect parallel between the end of Sefer Shemot 
and the end of Parak Kaftalif. Just like at Sinai, the Divine Presence appeared as a fire to B'nai Israel, so too in the case of the Mishkan, the Divine Presence appeared as a fire uh, to the eyes of B'nai Israel. Now, what I have done here, effectively, is map out some of the famed, some of the aspects of the famed Mishkan-Sinai parallel that Ramban uh, famously uh, mentions and refers to quite often in his parish on Sefer Shemot. And here we see this very, very tight connection between the end of Sefer Shemot and the Perkaftala. And to repeat, uh, the four elements are the fact that it is Moshe Levad, second, uh, that we have the Kvot Hashem, the Anan, and the Divine Presence. Third, that Moshe is prevented from entering, and then he calls, and he does enter. And fourth, the idea that this all appears as Eish to Bnei Yisrael. Well, what is really the point of ending Sefer Shmot uh, with uh, the Mishkan-Sinai parallel? The reminder that somehow the Mishkan is connected uh, or parallel to Har Sinai, and how does it help us resolve uh, some of our problems? Well, I think... On some level, the meaning of the Mishkan Sinai parallel is already readily apparent uh, in our verses. If we go back to the moment, to the strange psukim here that seem to have been imported from from Bamidbar. Again, Lamid Vav and Lamid Zayin here. And when the cloud rose uh, upon from upon the Mishkan, the Bnei Yisrael would travel upon their journeys. And if the cloud did not rise, they would not travel until the day that it did rise. The phrase Masa, traveling or journey here, is mentioned four times. And I think this is a, a symbol or a hint of the fact that Mishkan does not simply parallel Sinai, but Mishkan is meant to be a, a kind of a continuation uh, of Har Sinai. It is, in some sense, a portable uh, Har Sinai, and that which happened at Sinai is supposed to, so to speak, happen in the Mishkan, and is meant to accompany Bnei Yisrael upon their way, and the function of Mishkan is to contain that Sinaitic something, that Sinaitic experience, to be a portable Sinai to accompany Bnei Yisrael. Well, what exactly does it contain? Uh, what aspect of Sinai does it represent? And in what sense uh, does Mishkan serve as a portable Sinai? I think the answer is relatively simple, and I would argue that the answer is found way, way back uh, in Shmot Perak Cafe again. Um, as we know what happened at Sinai, God appeared and God revealed the Torah, God spoke, the Aseret Hadzvarim, the ten words, God spoke to B'nai Yisrael. And we are told in Shmot Perak Cafe, Pasuk Kafbet, at the end of the Parsha of the Aaron, Vinoadti Lecha Sham Vidibarti Etcha Meala Kapart Mebein Shneak Rubim, and I will meet with you there in the Oel Moed, and I will speak with you there from upon the Kapart. God speaks to B'nai Yisrael in the Mishkan, in the portable Sinai, and gives them Torah, gives them commands, and relates to them, and maintains a relationship, just as he had done at Har Sinai. And in this sense, Mishkan is a portable Sinai, a kind of continuation of Sinai, and this is the way the Sefer ends. Now, how does all of this help us uh, with the problem that we've investigating, been investigating, which is kind of the, the missing mention of the induction of the Kohanim in Parak Mem, and the nature of the Gilu Shechina, of the revelation at the very end of, of Sefer Shemot. So I think I'd like to, to state the following. Uh, there are many aspects um, to, to the Mishkan, or to the meaning of, of the Mishkan. And, and one of them is undoubtedly everything connected to Avodah. Uh, the Avodah of the Kohanim, the divine service that takes place there. The work of the Kohanim, the Karbanot, 
the kapara that is achieved in the Mishkan. And this is undoubtedly a, a clear and central element uh, to the existence of the temple, of the Mishkan, of the tabernacle, etc. However, I think there is another aspect, and that is really uh, the Mishkan as, as portable uh, Sinai. The continuation of the divine revelation that happened at Sinai, Mishkan as Dibur, not so much as Konim, Karbanot, and Kapara, but Mishnah as communication, uh, as the Dibur, of the giving of the word of God to Am Yisrael. This is a, another aspect. And I think in setting up the Mishkan-Sinai parallel at the very end of Sefer Shemot and leaving out um, the whole induction of the Kohanim and the Karbanot and the Miloim, I think the Torah makes the point deliberately that this second aspect, Mishkan as Sinai, as continued revelation, as Dibur, is independent of the, of the cult, is independent of the temple service, is independent of the Kohanim and the Karbanot, it is a, a separate aspect. And God arrives in the Mishkan immediately when Moshe sets it up and demonstrates and shows his divine presence without Kohanim, without Karbanot, simply Dibur alone, speech alone to Am Yisrael, presence and speech, just as it had been in Har Sinai, and makes the point of, of kind of the independence of the two different aspects. Now, I think this is connected to a deeper point, and I would like to kind of end with this. Um, a deeper point about the themes, the overall themes of Sefer Vayikra and Sefer Shmot, and this brings us back to uh, a famed point of Ramban uh, once again. Um, Sefer Vayikra is generally considered as being about uh, matters related to holiness, Kiddushah, perhaps matters related to Kohanim, uh, Karbanot, Kapara, forgiveness, etc., this whole rubric of issues. And it is, of course, no surprise on some plane that the accomplishment of the Miluim, of the induction of the Kohanim and the Karbanot and the beginning of divine service in the Mishkan happens in Sefer Vayikra, where this would seem to be its proper place. Um, well, what is Sefer Shmot about? Well, as Ramban points out, Sefer Shmot has already been given a name by Chazal. It is known as Sefer Gula, as the book of redemption. Um, well, this seems to fit with the first part of the book, um, Yitziat Mitzrayim, the uh, movement uh, out of Egyptian bondage. This is redemption. Um, well, what about the remaining parts of the book? What about the second part of the book, Sinai and Torah? Or what about the third part of the book, the story of Mishkan? How do they fit into the overarching theme of redemption, of Geula? Uh, how do they work in as part of Sefer Geula, the book of redemption? Ramban makes the striking and very interesting claim that redemption is a two-part process. It's not just physical, which is the first part of the book, but it's also spiritual. And until B'nai Yisrael have received the Torah at Har Sinai, uh, they really have not been re- fully redeemed. They have not been spiritually redeemed. And in this sense, the revelation Har Sinai and the giving of the Torah fits into the overarching theme of redemption of the book, uh, fits into the notion of Sefer Shemot and Sefer Geula. I'd like to add that the end of the Sefer fits in with this very nicely. Because Sinai cannot be uh, a one-time experience. Or the spiritual redemption of Har Sinai cannot be a flash in the pan. It must be a continuing, ongoing encounter with God. Uh, And it is only when the Mishkan is set up, only when the portable Sinai has been put in place and there is a means for the relationship with God to continue and God's word to be continued to be given to B'nai Yisrael, only then has Gu'ula, redemption in the spiritual sense, truly been accomplished. Only then does Sefer Shemot reach its climax here with the revelation of God 
at the very end of the book in the Mishkan upon it being set up by Moshe.